Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world, with over $1 trillion in trading volume on the platform per year. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets with transparent fees. Create an account today at eToro.com. That's E-T-O-R-O dot com. Crypto.Law, a.k.a. Kelman Law, is a New York law firm run by some of the first lawyers to enter crypto in 2013 with expertise in litigation, dispute resolution, and anti-money laundering. Email them at info at kelman.law. Why should you get an MCO Visa card from Crypto.com? First, it's a beautiful metal card. You can top up the card with crypto and spend anywhere Visa is accepted. You also get up to 5% back on all spending. You know they'll pay for your Spotify and Netflix, too. You'll love the unlimited airport lounge access and interbank exchange rates if you travel a lot. Today's guest is Brady Dale, senior reporter at Coindesk. Welcome, Brady. Hey, thanks for having me. So there's been some craziness in Steemit land this week, <laughs> when it, or, or the past couple of weeks, actually. Why don't you give a yeah. brief overview of the events that happened with Steemit and Justin's son's Tron, and then we'll dive into the kind of blow by blow. Sure. So uh, on Valentine's Day, word came out that Justin's son and Tron had bought Steemit, which is the company that runs Steemit the app, which is kind of like the crypto medium sort of with some Reddit vibes mixed in. And they also do a lot of the development for the Steam blockchain, but they don't own the Steam blockchain. So uh, the the witnesses, sort of the equivalent of miners on Steam, freaked out about the fact that Justin's son now owns Steemit because Steemit did have a giant pile of tokens that it had never exercised to control the blockchain before, but they were worried he would. And so they did a soft fork uh, to, to block those tokens from being able to do anything. And that led uh, Justin's son to be extremely unhappy. And so it looked like there was nothing he could do for a little while. But then uh, this past Sunday night or early Monday morning, I guess, um, all of a sudden, a bunch of new Steam witnesses got. So there's 20 Steam witnesses who govern the blockchain and sort of have total power on it. So it's not very distributed in that way. Um, 20 new witnesses were voted in and they were voted in by Steam held on a variety of exchanges. Um mostly Hobie, um, Binance, and uh, and then a little bit from Poloniex. And so suddenly this new group of witnesses were voted in. They um, updated to a new uh, version of the Steam software. I think the number was 22.5. And, uh, and then that allowed uh, Tron to move the Steam at tokens. And, uh, but then pretty quick, but then since then, so that was sort of the moment that crypto like really got interested was, you know, that sort of the empire strikes back moment. And then the last thing that's happened is, uh, that 
the the Steam community has reorganized themselves and a bunch and have have gotten seven of the original sort of grassroots you witnesses voted back in, which means that um, it they can't change the blockchain anymore, but it means that um, Tron can't hard fork in any way. They can they can block a hard fork. So there the two sides are a little bit at stalemate right now. Wow, this is this is pretty intense. This is definitely. Um, I like a blockchain more going on. Um, totally. One thing I wanted to ask you about is at the very beginning, when you talked about how Justin Sun had acquired Steemit, you said that Steemit did not own the blockchain. So who who then did own the blockchain? Well, no one did. You know, it's like this is like how blockchains work. I mean, it's a lot like um, it's a lot like Block One's relationship to EOS, right? Like Block One created the software, but then they just sort of put the software out in the world and a bunch of people came together to launch the EOS network and, and block one continues to do development on the, on the EOS, EOS IO software. Um, but you know, the blockchain doesn't have to incorporate it. They, they typically do, but they don't have to. And, you know, there's other EOS, other people can implement EOS too. So there's a, there's a blockchain called Telos, which runs a version of the EOS IO software uh, with some tweaks to it. And, uh, and other people have done the same thing. So, you know, it's, it's owned by the world. It's owned by the steam holders. And so um, back when Justin Sun did buy Steemit, there were some other kind of like business plans that were announced around then. So what were those plans? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions. So the, so the thing, it's, it's, it's super unclear what Tron's real intentions were. But, um, you know, he started sort of articulating a very Tron-ish vision for Steemit. Uh, you know, the kind of things we're sort of used to from Justin Sun, you know, getting celebrities on there, um, you know, giving people rewards for bringing more people in, sort of a very, you know, marketing oriented framework, which is kind of what Justin Sun's known for is just sort of getting attention and, and getting, you know, high profile people involved in things. Um, but what what alarmed Steam users, the thing that most alarmed them is he he made some kind of suggestion of a token swap between uh, Tron and Steam. And so folks sort of read that as an intention to just kind of subsume Steam into Tron. And folks didn't like that. So so th- I think that was the big concern. You know, there's there's folks who have said since then that it, more and more signs that really he just wanted to get his hands on a pile of tokens at a good deal and sell them. But but that was the pitch he was making to the Steam community. And it's and it's also it's worth noting that like a part of the sign that maybe he didn't really intend to develop Steam it further is, you know, once they locked up the tokens, I mean, the community said like it was a soft fork. It was easily reversible. They basically were just trying to get time so they could talk to um, the Tron team and see what their intentions were and sort of express their concerns. And if everything seemed okay, there was supposed to be this March 6 meeting, uh, then, you know, they could have reversed it. But instead, um, Tron came in and sort of, you know, dropped the boot on them by like putting in a bunch of, uh, you know, quote unquote, sock puppet witnesses. And that made it that made it look a lot more like that the intentions weren't uh, weren't so much to develop steam, but maybe just to, you know, uh, to, you know, do a token dump of some kind, but who knows? But, um, but just to go back the soft fork, that was to essentially kind of like block 
the influence of any Steam tokens owned by Steemit, which was now owned by Trump, by uh, Justin. Is that right? Yeah, basically just locked up some wallets. Um, that's all it did. And, and so, uh, and so it was easy to reverse. Uh, and they, and you know, it's interesting. One of the things which one of the witnesses who was involved in that told me is a part of why they did it as a soft fork is um, because they they didn't want to hurt exchange users. Because, you know, if, if it, as long as it was a soft fork, the exchanges didn't have to do anything. People could still trade. People could still withdraw their steam and such. Um, so it wouldn't be a problem. And then it's the exchange. It's a few of the exchanges who come around and enable Justin's son to take it back over. Yeah, well, let's talk about that, because what's interesting about the three exchanges that you named, Binance and Huobi are both based in China and Poloniex is now owned by Tron. <laughs> or just or, or it's owned by yeah so, well, it's unclear yeah. it's owned by a group of investors of which he is one of them so yeah he definitely has an influence there or maybe he just owns it outright who knows it's a little bit hard to say but but yeah he definitely has influence yeah so they're all ones he's connected to for sure yeah so i feel like this you know <laughs> i i i really i'm not a fan of conspiracy theories but um for the people who sometimes beat that drum about how and and please please no listeners don't, don't none of you I don't want to, I don't want you to say that I'm spouting conspiracy theories about Bitcoin because I'm not um, but there are people out there who sometimes will say oh you know all the Bitcoin miners not all but you know the majority are in China um, but this is like almost like a version of that yeah well the, in the story and the story that the exchanges are saying since this came out uh, is. That, you know, Tron came to them and they argued that this was uh, this was a, a, a quote unquote hack and it was um, and that folks were stealing his crypto. And it is true that they were locking up his property. I mean, there's no question about that. And I, I should say I didn't mention this before, but a part of the thing about this pool of Steemit tokens is is that this Steemit and the Steam community kind of had a handshake agreement that Steemit wouldn't vote them and wouldn't like, you know, just govern the chain with them, uh, which is very different, by the way, than the deal block one has with the community. They just haven't, but the community would kind of like them to, I think. Uh, but anyway, uh, but so the, the community was like, well, we had this sort of deal and now everything's changed with there being new ownership. And so that's why they locked them up anyway. So, so Sun went to them and was just like, look, folks are stealing my tokens. This is a hack. And they bought it, but it, but it seems like the evidence since then is this is not worth the headache it's yielded for them. So there's, they're trying to spin it as like a, they were, you know, doing the best they could to protect the community, but they're also, you know, they're, they, they seem to be unwinding their positions pretty quickly. The trick is though, the hard thing is steam is a very complicated blockchain. The way it works is, is pretty weird. And one of the challenges, and this is a real thing for the users of those exchanges to think about is once you've, once you've on, on the current, the current way the software is written, once you have staked tokens to vote, it takes 13 weeks to unstake all of them. They, they sort of unstake in chunks. Um, so you, you can get like a seventh of them in like a week or so, but it takes 13 weeks to get them all out. So like this is a, so like a lot of tokens are locked up for a long time as non-withdrawable because the exchanges did this. <sighs> 
I, I probably have the Tao too much in my brain because of what I'm working on uh, with my book, but this does remind me of um, the Tao too. Anyway, okay, so we're going to have to take a, a quick break uh, to uh, hear from the sponsors who make the show possible. And after that, we will talk about what the implications of this whole battle are. Why should you get an MCO Visa card from Crypto.com? First, it's a beautiful metal card. You can top up the card with crypto and spend anywhere Visa is accepted. You also get up to 5% back on all spending. You know they'll pay for your Spotify and Netflix, too. You'll love the unlimited airport lounge access and interbank exchange rates if you travel a lot. There are so many cool perks loaded in one card. Download the Crypto.com app now. Crypto.law is run by crypto OGs in New York who understand crypto and fintech. They were already operating in the space back in 2013, and they accept crypto as payment. One of the partners, Zachary Kelman, is known for drafting a bill submitted to the U.S. Congress in 2014 aimed at exempting on-chain Bitcoin transactions from U.S. regulations. The other founding partner, his brother Daniel Kelman, became well-known in the crypto law space for his work in the Mt. Gox civil rehabilitation. So if you operate a fintech business or have a dispute with some person or business involving crypto, or you just need legal advice related to crypto, info at kelman.law. That's K-E-L-M-A-N dot law, or just go to their website at www.crypto.law. When you think crypto, think Kelman. Back to my conversation with Brady Dale. So but actually, before we talk about the implications of this whole thing, Let's just talk about, I mean, the exchanges did seem to walk back what they were doing. So yeah, mm-hmm. t- yeah talk about what happened there. Well, so it's, it's, a, it's a little bit hard to tell. Um, and I'm, I'm not as great as I'd like to be at like reading blockchain data, but, uh, the number of votes that are showing up for, you know, the, the witnesses supporting Tron are, are dropping pretty fast. Um, but they haven't dropped off entirely. Uh, so it does, that is evidence that the, um, the exchanges are unwinding their positions. But like I said, there's this long delay. And so they kind of can't for, you know, they can't do it for a while unless the software changes, but it it does seem like they are. So to their credit, they've realized this was, uh, more complicated than it seemed at first. And so they, they're getting out of the business of, you know, deciding who governs steam. So what are you looking at next as you watch this drama unfold? Uh, you know, I mean, honestly, I, <laughs> I would like for it to just sort of like wrap up and be over. I mean, it is interesting. Um, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but how? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think, you know, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's word that there's been some quiet behind the scenes, uh, talk of a sort of compromise. I, I have a feeling. So though, I don't know this, but my guess is, um, there is a level on which the Steam community, if they could get an agreement from Sun to just like sell off his positions, but not do it like all, all at once at some like reasonable time frame, uh, everybody would be cool. I think they were more worried he was going to take over the chain and, and change it in some dramatic way that they weren't comfortable with. So I have a feeling that's probably what's being worked on, but I don't know. He put out this blog post this morning. That's wild. Um, he, he wrote this blog post this morning saying, you know, I'm looking for people who are, who want to be witnesses for steam that meet certain requirements. And, um, and one of them is, you know, he, he uses some pretty toxic language about like the existing witnesses and their, you know, hostility towards, you know, note, noteworthy exchanges, uh, so I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe collaboration isn't possible, but he's, he's, he's showing a lot of, uh, anger and frustration. I mean, I don't like, it doesn't feel decentralized to me if, um, you know, the, a certain number of witnesses have to be pre-approved by Justin Sun. So well, I, don't, I don't think it's like, decentralized. It 
either way. I, I don't think it is either way. You know, I mean, like the thing is, like, look, I think a lot of people out there are sort of rallying behind the prior witnesses uh, as more legitimate, and that's probably true. And you know, I'm all for them. Um, but the reason I'm interested in this story and the reason I'm covering it is it just it just goes to show how at the end of the day, like delegated proof of stake is just not very decentralized either way, right? I mean, the fact that these folks, it only there's only needed 20, they only need to coordinate 17 people, honestly, 17 entities that were running witnesses um, to lock up Justin Sun's tokens. I mean, whatever you think of Justin Sun, that was censorship on the blockchain, right? Like, I mean, it, it was. Um, and so they locked up his tokens and they did that pretty easily. And then Justin Sun organizes a bunch of steam to move in a bunch of other witnesses and he's able to unlock them pretty quickly. I mean, it just shows how, um, how DPOS, you know, delegated, delegated proof of stake is, is pretty easily uh, manipulated by someone with deep pockets, you know, on either side of the ledger. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you, I mean, do you feel that a bunch of the other chains that use delegated proof of stake also, kind of run that this risk and do you think that any of them are sort of second guessing what uh the structure of their chains i mean the biggest one is eos and i've i've covered the hell out of this um i think eos already shows that uh it's kind of where that's at i mean i've i've written about this a ton you know uh, and there was a great report that came out from binance recently um, in which Binance wrote that, you know, they were, it's, you can't tell for sure, but they were like pretty positive that a bunch of the so-called block producers on there, the equivalent of witnesses, um, on Steam, it's what they call them block producers, but the people validating the chain, that a bunch of them, like, you know, are actually the same entity with multiple names and just sort of multiple servers on there. So you have, you know, one organization that's pre- pretending to be four different block producers. Um, so I, I think it's it's already happening on on the other big TPOS chains. Um, yeah. And in a way, I think actually, when I, you know, hear what you're talking about, it almost feels like the real problem maybe was the initial distribution, because why did Steam it have so many tokens in the beginning? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the same thing is also, again, true on EOS, uh, you know, that in there was this big, you know, they did the giant token sale. There was a ton of tokens out there. And it was always the case that no matter how many tokens got sold, um, block one was going to have 10% of the initial pool. And so, and they still have most of that. They're still the biggest token holder on EOS. Um, and, you know, they're, they aren't voting them yet. Uh, but like I said before, I think the community sort of would like them to, to sort of vote in the best possible block producers. But um, th- that might, that might have changed sort of the sentiment there is, is always moving. But yeah, but even still is, is even if they, even if you launched it pure, right? It was just like, we're going to launch this DPOS chain. Nobody's going to have any tokens at the start. Uh, you know, we'll just figure out our initial group of block producers and everyone will earn it by merit from there. All it takes is some very wealthy person to come along and just acquire a bunch of tokens on an exchange. And it still will become fairly easy eventually to like dominate that exchange just from having a bunch of money, you know, because it's just, it's just when you limit the number of nodes that control a thing, um, it makes coordination much, much easier. Yeah. Yeah. I still think that if you have to, I, I just, I don't know, somehow, I, I guess like, I feel like it tends to be even more extreme when the creators allot themselves some percentage of tokens rather than. Oh, for sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And unquestionably. I mean, yeah, it's, I'm just saying that you'll eventually get there either way. But for sure, it's vastly easier if it pre-mines a giant pile. Yeah. And I feel like it's the creators who do that maybe aren't thinking long term because that does end up creating problems for the chain down the line. So um, I almost feel like baking fairness into the chain in some fashion and and it's i i think you know i've had talks with some people like like charlie lee is maybe a really good example of this where he did not pre-mine at all he did not you know take any more litecoin than anybody else uh could have taken from the start you know although he, obviously he did have uh, you know mining gear set up from the start um but you know he seems to think that any creators who take an initial stake of tokens are doing it unfairly i don't know if i would go that far but um i definitely think that those who are more on the greedy side will be sort of shooting themselves in the foot long term i mean in, in defense of steam and even kind of eos really i would i would also contend that like we have a much clearer picture of that problem now in 2020. I mean, Steam is in blockchain terms, like really old. I mean, it, it was one of the first, you know, it, it was one of the first that I ever covered back when I was at the Observer. And it was like, I think it launched in like 2016 or something. So I just don't think, I do think on some level in, in kind of Ned Scott and Dan Larimer's defense, they were probably like, yeah, this might be bad, but you know, I don't know, how bad could it be? Um, and like when I first started covering ICOs, when I joined Coindesk it, in 2017, a lot of people were doing it and there was some criticism, but folks weren't like that freaked out about it. But I think today folks are just like, no, your pre-mines are not a great idea. You know, I think that's become clearer, but I don't think we knew it as clearly back, back then. Maybe not. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll see um, how this plays out. Uh, so that meeting that was supposed to happen on the 6th is not happening anymore? Doesn't sound like it. I put out some questions this morning about that and folks didn't get back to me. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, but I will say this 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 post from Justin Sun that came out this morning does not sound like he's you know trying to get along. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. There's something about the way that you described his phrasing on that that made me think it's not going to go over super well. But um, <laughs> we got a message this happens. morning: Steam is dead from uh, some, from some like anonymous source out there, when, and with a link to the post. So yeah, folks aren't folks aren't into it. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with this chain. Um, well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks a ton. Yeah. Don't forget, next up is the news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Are you interested in getting into the cryptocurrency markets but don't know where to start building your portfolio? eToro has the answer for you. It's called CopyTrader by eToro. With CopyTrader, you can automatically copy every trade of eToro's top crypto traders at the exact price in real time. No need to study up on markets or develop your own strategies. Simply sign up and copy the trader of your choice. Any profits they make, you do too, proportional to your investment. With eToro, you get access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies with transparent trading fees, all in one easy-to-use app. Copy the smart money with eToro. Join now at eToro.com. That's E-T-O-R-O dot com. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's News Recap. First story, India's Supreme Court legalizes cryptocurrency. The Supreme Court of India struck down a 2018 ban on cryptocurrencies that had made it illegal for banks to deal with cryptocurrency. With that directive deemed unconstitutional, Indian crypto traders can now deposit Indian rupees into crypto exchanges. 
Since several Indian crypto exchanges shut down following the ban, many expect the industry there to revive. In an opinion piece for Coindesk, Ajit Tripathi says the next challenge is to create sensible regulation that would help curb widespread scams in small towns and villages, but that he believes that India, because it would likely have one regulator for the cryptocurrency industry, would have, quote, far clearer, efficient and transparent regulation than the U.S., Next story, Libra's change of plans, digital fiat coins plus Libra. The information reported that bowing to pressure from regulators, the Libra Association will be issuing digital versions of fiat currencies in addition to the previously planned Libra, a new token backed by the US dollar, euro, Japanese yen, British pound, and Singapore dollar. Also, Facebook will be launching its digital wallet Calibra in October instead of June, as previously planned, and the rollout, quote, could be restricted to certain countries based on the local currencies that it ultimately supports. Next headline, crypto laws get clarity in South Korea. Cryptocurrencies now have a designated place under South Korea's legal regime. The Korean National Assembly passed an amendment that made clear how cryptocurrency exchanges should comply with know-your-customer and anti-money laundering requirements, and also specified that exchanges, wallet providers, and token issuers must partner with an approved Korean bank to verify participants. Next headline, everything you wanted to know about the ProgPow debate in Ethereum. Hudson Jameson, who serves as core developer liaison for Ethereum, wrote an epic blog post in his personal capacity about the debate over programmatic proof-of-work, more commonly known as ProgPow. He explains that it is a proof-of-work algorithm that utilizes almost all parts of commodity GPUs. The goal of switching to ProgPow would be to reduce the incentives for others to create ASICs, which are special chips dedicated to mining Ethereum. In the post, he recounts the long history of how the proposal got made, who's pushing for it, and the pros and cons. The biggest concern, he says, is that instituting it could cause a network split if it were to be a contentious hard fork. He says, quote, In my opinion, ProgPow isn't worth it and is dead based on overwhelming evidence of community dissent. Next headline. Two Chinese nationals charged with laundering more than $100 million in cryptocurrency. On Monday, the Department of Justice charged two Chinese nationals, Tian Yanyan and Li Jiadong, with laundering more than $100 million worth of cryptocurrency. The DOJ alleges the funds were stolen by North Korean actors, in particular the Lazarus Group, a North Korean state-sponsored, state-sponsored malicious cyber group who hacked into a virtual currency exchange, making off with $250 million. From July 2018 to April 2019, Tian Yanyan and Li Jiadong engaged in $100 million worth of cryptocurrency transactions, most of them exchanging cryptocurrency that was traceable to the exchange hack, back in a fiat. One of the crazier details in the story is that about $1.5 million worth of the Bitcoin was converted to iTunes gift cards. Fun bits. Uh, I have two stories in fun bits. The first is Alphaville on the Ripple MoneyGram deal. So last week I did talk about this news, which is that Ripple's been paying MoneyGram to use XRP. Isabella Kaminska of the FT had a pretty hilarious little column on the deal. Um, so she pointed out that MoneyGram and Ripple made a deal for MoneyGram to use Ripple's XRP and the XRapid platform. And that at the time that deal was made, 
MoneyGram was not in great financial shape. She then talks about how Ripple CEO Brad Garlinghouse crowed about how 10% of MoneyGram's U.S.-Mexico business was being handled by Ripple Systems. Uh, But then she said, quote, it turns out Ripple has been paying a significant amount of subsidies. And then there she crossed out the word subsidies and replaced that word with cash to MoneyGram's business since buying into the company in June. She ends the piece with a quote from Garlinghouse from a 2019 interview with the FT in which he said, quote, we would not be profitable or cash flow positive without selling XRP. Second story in fun bits, inside the too big to fail bit club network. So this story is a couple weeks old, but Westward did a fabulous long form story on the BitClub Network's alleged Ponzi scheme, which prosecutors say is one of the largest cryptocurrency frauds ever, scamming hundreds of thousands of investors out of what what they claim was $722 million. I'm just going to read the first couple of paragraphs so you get a taste of how juicy this story is. The first time you see Joey Weeks work his magic, you might wonder what the hell is going on. Here he is, serving up financial advice on stage in Acapulco or Aspen or some other place where millionaires roost. And he's dressed like a frat boy in cargo shorts, a t-shirt, and sandals. He giggles, snorts, and waves his arms (laughs) as if he's herding pledges to an endless supply of Jaeger bombs. (laughs) But this 38-year-old bro can sell. As he settles into his pitch, it becomes clear that his attire is ideal for the task at hand. It screams casual, comfy, I don't give a rat's ass, sincere. It's the antithesis of the uniform of Wall Street corporate tools, the pinstripe and Hermes tie and John Lobb wingtips. It's what a bro would wear 365 days a year if he was absurdly rich and didn't have to impress anybody. And what Weeks is selling, to some extent, is his own legend. The Secret of How to Be Me. Live a great story, one of his t-shirts proclaims. And what greater story is there than the carefully cultivated success story of Joby Weeks? All right, you guys, thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Brady Dale and the Steemit drama, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. If you enjoy these news recaps, then why not sign up for The Real Deal, the weekly newsletter I publish every Friday. Some of you have asked me for the links to the stories I mentioned on the show, and now you can get them delivered right to your inbox. Go to unchainedpodcast.com right now to sign up. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Factual Recording, Anthony Yoon, Daniel Ness, Josh Durham, and the team at CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.